Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shiat Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Uh, you're in for a treat today. We have uh, Miss Nancy Tag, who is uh, really a very special person, very smart person. She's a director of BIC, BIC which is the Branding and Integrated Communications Program at CCNY, which is the City College of New York. She's the author of the book Ad Critique, which is a guide to helping creative directors. Suits, as she calls them, and I would even argue clients would benefit from reading this book. Um, She also has not one but two commercials in the permanent collection of the Museum of Modern Art, and she's the recipient of the Henry Wolf Award for Teaching Excellence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, say hi to Nancy Tagg. Well, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks for focusing on education in your Disruptor series. That's right. Well, you're you're the first uh, person that we're going to talk to for our big back-to-school Disruptor series thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know if we're going to get more than you, so the pressure's on for you to be amazing. But you will be. Well, it is back-to-school. <laughs> so after this, I'll be rushing back to City College to do orientation. So thank you for getting me my head into it just before we start. Well, I think there's lots to discuss with you because you're a very interesting person. But I think one thing that we should really discuss is you're at a very unique school. So you're at CCNY. And it's uh, what I found out, it's the 170th anniversary of the school. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Founded in 1847. And maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about what makes the school special uh, because it's not like uh, your typical Ivy League. It's not like your typical you know, state school. There's something unique about this school and, and why it was founded. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for uh, pointing out that we're in our 170th anniversary. Um, it, it's been an exciting year. Uh, so City College was founded in 1847 as the Free Academy. And it was established by Townsend Harris, and he has this wonderful quote, and I, can, I hope I can get it verbatim because it's so beautiful. Um, Let the children of the rich and the poor have their seat together and know of no distinction except for industry, conduct, and intellect. And I think that's such, it's really kind of a goosebumpy mm. statement for me. Uh, and it really kind of sets the stage for something that I think is really revolutionary. And, I, and in, in one way, I think, is why City College really belongs as part of your Disruptor series. Um, I think that we all think so much about education here in the United States. It's a great system. It's Our um, higher education is uh, world-renowned. And because it's American, we tend to think that it's very democratic. Right. But the reality is, is that it, it really has not been. Right. And it was Townsend Harris's vision that um, thought about education as accessible to everybody. And not just the poor or mm. the immigrants or the marginalized. I love the part of that phrase that is take their seats together. Right. Um, and so that notion of access was really revolutionary at the time when he introduced it. And I think to some degree, still a little bit oh, without revolutionary. Question. I mean, just given the events of the day, what we've just seen in Charlottesville. I mean, to have a, you know, to have a university that's set up for children of uh, of immigrants and uh, people who don't have all the money in the world. Um, this is truly disruption, uh, truly disruptive. And when I was, you know, prepping for our session today, I just thought, could this school not be any more relevant? When you think about what's going on in the world today. 
Um, and as you told me, you know, things are happening in Harlem. So, I, you know, I love to hear that. Yeah. Well, I the thing is, when Townsend Harris um, established City College, it was the idea of it was a huge experiment. Mm. And when we think of disruption, um, it has such great potential for failure. But the fact of it is that City College has been an enormous success. And right. in our business especially, we like to see a return on investment, some kind of measurement of that success. And City College has more Nobel Prize winners than any other public school. And I think we can attribute that to the fact that when Harvard and Yale and Princeton were not accepting the, the children of immigrants, City College was. Mm. Um, so we have Arno Penzias, for some reason, is my favorite because he is the person who helped discover quarks, and that's pretty cool. See, Curtis Blow, he was my, <laughs> he was my favorite uh, famous alumni from CCNY. Well, if you Wikipedia it, right, you have this long, long list, and you're like, I can't believe that person went to City College. Well, let, let me throw a few out there. So uh, people who struck me. So Andy Grove, yes, who's a professional hero of mine. He's the former CEO of Intel, Yes, uh, one of our clients. Time so, man of the year. Yeah, I mean, this guy, you know, he was amazing. Uh, Jonas Salk. Yes. Discover the polio vaccine. That was, you know, kind of important. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, as we've seen in Dex in, uh, in our business, uh, the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Yeah, Abraham Maslow. He mm-hmm. went to CCNY. Woody Allen. Yes. That was very I good. think he dropped out. I liked it. Henry Kissinger also is a dropout. So. Oh, really? Yeah. There are some people that just can't cut it. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Actually, one of my favorite painters went to CCNY, Ben Sean, who I think is amazing. Oh, really? Yeah, I love I him. did not know that. Um, Curtis Blow, as I mentioned, and advertising apropos, Mr. George Lois. Yes, absolutely. And he just donated his archive to City College. I know. He cool is on is our board. I hope that some of your listeners will come to City College on the 12th because we're having a big celebration of that in the Great Hall. Wow. Yeah, so that should be kind of cool. A celebration great. of his archive, celebration of George, which is always a celebration. Wherever George is in the room, it is always a celebration. I've always found whenever George is in the room, it's always a fucking celebration. I mean, he uses the F word. The students love him. They absolutely love him. And first, because he's awesome, and then second, because he uses the word fuck a lot. <laughs> or maybe sometimes, depending on who the student is. No, he's <laughs> Which incredible. order that is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you know, you're out there and you don't know who George Lois is, last name spelled L-O-I-S, um, and you're interested in communications, I mean, you have to, you have to know George Lois. I mean, because this guy... Uh, uh, he revolutionized. I think he revolutionized. Uh, you know, as being part of DDB and and on Doyle. Day, well, I guess Doyle Dane Birnbach, as it was known then, um, as part of being part of that. I think there was a very um, kind of New York feel, not just to him, of course. When you, you know, yeah. he's just he just oozes New York, but it comes out in the work. Yeah, you know that sort of. Uh, and again, as a university that celebrates uh, the immigrant experience in New York. Uh, there seems to be something in that. I mean, do you find that, uh, you know, that, that, that CCNY is kind of uniquely New York in any way? Is that, Do you feel like kind of, I don't know, it's, it's like maybe it's a microcosm in terms of the, the student makeup or the, uh, the street smarts that you, that you teach along with the book smarts? I mean, how do you, how would you sort of talk about that New Yorkness of CCNY? Yeah, um, that's absolutely right. I want to get to that, but I want to mm. get back and correct the record for one second. Mm. George Lois actually did not go to CCNY. He went to the High School of Music and Art, which was on the CCNY campus. And then he went to Pratt. Mm. So he didn't go to CCNY for for college. 
But he had been coming up to our undergraduate program and meeting the students and falling in love with them. And because he had spent so much time on the CCNY campus, my, my husband also went to the High School of Music and Art. And you mm. kind of be, develop this affinity. It's a beautiful campus for those. And, and a lot of New Yorkers have never been up to see it. You've, you've been yeah. up a couple of times. It's really quite, quite stunning. And I, he just felt like it personified New York. And what it was to be creative, big idea thinking, yeah. through that kind of notion of being um, a street person, somebody that knows when to cross the street, um, which George definitely is. Right. Um, so I just wanted to mm-hmm. correct that. I don't know whether that's better or not, but I love the fact that he didn't go to CCNY and decided that that was the place where he wanted to put his archive. Um, in terms of the New York quality of, of City College, it is absolutely right, and I think I've mentioned this to you, City College is incredibly diverse, and it's energetic in, in the same way that New York City is. Um, when you come into the classroom, it's like teaching on the subway. You never know who's going to be sitting there. And on and, and any given semester, you could put it into a pie chart, and it would be really interesting. And But the next time you taught, it would be completely different, because that's what it's like when right. you get onto the subway. So you have... Um, a nurse who had just finished an 18-hour shift heading home with somebody from Wall Street who just scored a big deal sitting side by side. And I think, again, that gets back to that Townsend Harris quote with taking your seat together. I think that's the uniqueness of New York. It's the, it's the fact that you have people coming here um, in order to experience that. Um, if you are not personally in what would be classically a diversity bucket – the fact that you love New York kind of makes you a special type of person because you love that. You love that kind of energy and that extreme um, um, diversity that kind of mixes and creates you more, makes you more creative and, and that sort of thing. And I think City College is, is definitely the, the best of that, one of the great CUNY campuses as well. So, oh, yeah. No, yeah. The, the, the architecture alone is, is, is just worth the price of admission. It's really amazing. I... um. I was up there through Michael Farmer. I did a guest lecture. And, and one of the things I noticed, you know, just building off what you said, was that everybody in the class was switched on. And this was not where you walk into a classroom yeah. and a third of the people are into it, a third of the people are ambivalent, and a third of the people are checked out. Yeah. I mean, I've never been in a classroom where people were just like in it. And I do think that, that, that there's something special about the school that way because it seems like the student body is not there. Um, I don't know. They're not fulfilling like a parental dream. They're, <laughs> they're there because they want to be there. Right, right. No, that's absolutely true. And especially the BIC program because it's a master's level program. You don't have to do it. Um, and I, I think we ask them to be engaged. I think that it's part of understanding how communication works and it's kind of a little bit on the other side of of what we would imagine kind of online skill-based get it done in a few weeks Mm -hmm. we really ask them to commit to two years and to walk up that hill um, which is physically this big metaphor and students have always thought that way for 170 years they took great pride in walking up that hill so they had this physical expression of what education was it was worth the work. That's the problem with Penn State. It's a happy valley. Yes, right. <laughs> so subways and convenience and all that stuff, but at the very end of it, you got to walk up that hill. And so with you, I mean, I'm sure some of them were breathless because in part they were excited that you were mm. there, but also because- Not many of them. They had just- <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, I do. And I we have a lot of people coming in from the industry. It's a very porous environment. We're taking advantage mm. of being in New York City. Um, and people like yourselves, very high-level, engaged people that want to um, it's not just giving back; it's tapping into that energy. I yeah. think that's really you felt it. It's palpable. Oh, yeah. No, it was as good for me as it, it was for them. Yeah. I mean, it was really energizing. We had one of um, our board members, Rod Norman. Rob Norman came in and um, he called me up about a, a day before he was scheduled to come up, and he wanted to float some thoughts mm. in front of the students before he did. He's you know a big blogger, big thought leader kind of guy, and he was like you know, I really want to put this stuff out in front of the students. And we had planned on this for months. And he said, you know, I'm not just not going to make it. I'm my travel plans. I'm out of right. out of the country. And I'm like, that's cool. I mean, because that's what happens. If, what? You know, if you're connected. That's so on Nancy Tag. You didn't like go down there and No, because him? because I knew that he'd come back. If, oh, okay. if, you know, so. Because uh, so nobody says no. no to you. No, not many. Not many. <laughs> but um, so. But he called like an hour beforehand. So I'm taking down the posters. I'm like ready to disappoint the students. And he calls and he says, you know, I'm on the tarmac. You know, I'm going to come anyway. And he came in and he looked like shit. I mean, he just was like dragging. He had his suitcase and he's like, Ugh. and he comes into my office with the biggest cup of coffee I've ever seen. And um, I said, are you ready to are you ready to go? You know, showtime kind of thing. And we take him over to 104, where, where we bring mm. you in, and he just turned into a different person mm. in front of those students. Whether you're a client, a brand, or an agency, how should we be using Bickmore? So if, if, if I'm, you know, us, you know, how should we be using you more? Or if, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm PepsiCo, how should we be working with, uh, with uh, this program more? Um, everything that... BIC does is project-driven, and I think that's one of the things that's um, um, it, not not unique per se, but I think it's one of the things that gives a richness to the curriculum, and so we need content. Um, we like working with clients. I um, In the foundation class, I teach one of the foundation classes in content development, and we did uh, the circle line as one of our projects. So the students, we try to break things down. Um, we don't talk about print. We talk about two two D. How does how do we communicate in two D so that we don't think kind of almost anachronistically, um, and 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 so on. And I wasn't thinking about them as a real client, but just before the students presented, I picked up the phone and I said, "Hey, <laughs> we did this. Want to come up?" And they came up, and it just changed how the students responded. And we want to create incredibly nimble students. They present all the time. And we threw that at them about an hour before they presented. Guess what? The the, the marketing team from Circle Line is showing up. Um, oh, I, no, you didn't tell them? No, we didn't tell them. Isn't that horrible? No, it's just like life. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? It's, it's just, just, I know. Guess it's just like life. Guess who's coming to right? dinner? What, what did John Lennon just, say? Life is what happens when you're making other plans. Right, right, exactly. Um, and it, they were... <gasps> And then they just did it. Yeah. And so they, they learn from that. And then they get better. And you grow. And yeah. that's the whole point. You're there. You want to grow. So that's that's one way is um, saying yes when I pick up the phone. Um, and also, as I said earlier, is giving us the the things you're having problems with mm. and walking away and saying what happens. Let, we, we can't wait to see what happens when we get back. I, our not-for-profit client this year is the Grove School of Engineering, and I spent a long time with her the other day uh, with the dean of the Grove School talking about how— Connected to Andy Grove. 
Yes, absolutely. He gave a lot of money wow. so to name that school. Tw- I think $26 million wow. um, f- to his alma mater. The the you know the dis- disruptor of all time, right? Yeah, and, Andy Grove. Um, and so I spoke to Gilda, the dean there, and I said that my goal here for you as a client or a partner, it's yeah. kind of weird to think of yourself as a client, but you are, um, is that you get the most out of it as possible without us ruining what you have to do every day. And I don't think you can get that with a client agency relationship because the relationship is so tight and you're really back and forth. So it's kind of like that little bit of distance that's great. So I think I would love the industry to use us more. I'd love for agencies to, um, I mean, we do a mix and mentor where we, um, and it gets so, it's so hard to do where we bring the industry together to meet our brand new class because I hate the idea that they come in at the end and say, oh, you, 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 you. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's your job to bring them along and ask them the questions. I love the idea that students are constantly talking to the industry while they're oh, yeah. in the classroom because then they ask better questions. I love the idea that if they're on the phone with somebody from the industry, um, whether from, from the agency side, the enterprise side, wherever they are, and say, guess what we're studying, that book you recommended, hmm. would you love to come and listen to the lecture on it? Um, so even on a, you know, it's kind of like we go down to conference. We actually require the students to do conferences because we can't teach everything. And then they come back in and they kind of infect us in a, in a really good way. But I would love the industry to kind of say, that's really cool. Can I sit in on that? And so the dynamic changes. So when you come up, you're the expert. And when you give this wonderful presentation to the students, you're talking from a position of knowledge. And that's a dynamic that the students need to get comfortable with. Right. Um, but on the other hand, it's nice for you to be a student too. I mean, we all kind of, it's back yeah, to, I'm, it's I'm back to school week, stuff. right? I know. <laughs> I mean, what, what sort of, I mean, maybe give us a little bit about what's, what's coming up in the classroom. Like, what are you hearing? You know, like, you know, maybe just the end of last uh, semester. What were some of the, <laughs> if you can remember, cause I oh know my it's going to That I mean, was when? <laughs> I, that was May? Um, but like what, like, were, were there like, themes, topics? Was there stuff, you know, that you were like, wow, we, we were just like obsessing over Snapchat or like, was there, was there stuff that was in the classroom? Uh, you know, yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I actually did a one credit course. We've been doing this thing. Our curriculum is do- designed so that we do um, these foundational courses, then we do some specialization depth, and then the second year, we bring the students all back together to put it into action in, in two different capstones. Um, so it's a very iterative mm. kind of process. So they start with kind of, you know, everything's project-driven, so they'll start with some broad kind of theory, but they'll apply it. But it, when you actually give them a project that a client is invested in and is paying for, um, it changes the dynamic. It changes Ooh, so their parameters. So tell us about that. So what happens? Um, like what kind of clients come in and hire you guys? Well, we have um, in the fall we do not for profit because I think it's a different animal mm-hmm. than a corporate having a corporate client. Mm-hmm. Um, their needs are different. You need to kind of be explanatory. They don't they don't tend to have. Uh, big marketing departments, smaller budgets. But I also think in the not-for-profit space, I think that's very much in terms of um, our industry uh, and branding where you need to operate um, from a place of integrity. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where we... we Unlike selling pizza, where well, we don't need any integrity. We don't need integrity. <laughs> 
Well, that's the thing. Just we buy put our them, triangles just of bu- cheese and sauce. <laughs> well, that's good enough. That is good reason enough. <laughs> um, but I, if you do a not-for-profit for the fall and then you do it again in the spring for a corporate client, you take the lessons that you've learned in that and, mm. and therefore you apply that sense of integrity and, and morality. I think that if you teach the students to come from a place of knowledge and integrity, then they're going to figure out what's you know you you can throw almost anything at them right. and they'll they'll come at they'll come back with something that's good so we did uh we did the UJA in in the fall last year and our project was um they wanted to talk about uh teen depression and anxiety and i had meetings with them and i said well i, I mean that's that's a great topic why are you qualified to sponsor this message? Why, you like, know, what's the Jews. connection? I know. <laughs> That's why we're, we're, we're so stressed <laughs> and anxious. Um, I said, is it because you did a lot of research on this and you just happen to have it? Is it, well, what's the, mm. you know, there's got to be a connection. You can't just say, hey, we're the UJA, teen depression, you know, <laughs> snap out of it. You can't. <laughs> So we worked this out in the brief. I, you know, I tend to work with my instructor. We sit there and we hammer it out, and so, so that everybody kind of gets the same charge. And what came out of the process, which I think is something that we we do as as professionals, is you learn a lot through the briefing process. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot. You know, you don't just treat it as an exercise. You actually say we can, we can learn from this. This right, is not just right. like this thing we do, and. Um, they hadn't really thought about it. Um, they didn't quite know why they were doing it. And we, we get clients like this all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they have something that they want to do or they have a product that they love, but they're not quite sure what the value is or why they're promoting it in any given moment. And we come in and we go, we fall in love with it. And we go, no, this is why. This is the value. So it's basically just like working in an agency on any project. It, it is. Clients only, come in with, we know what we do. We only, know how yeah, we right, do we it. Know, Wait, why are we doing <laughs> why this? Why are we doing this? I would say that the thing that most of my students are always shocked about, and I can guarantee it, after the client briefing, the client leaves. I hope my, none of my clients are listening to this. And the students all look at each other. They go, they don't really know why they're doing this. And I go, I know. Isn't it great? That's why we exist. So the thing that we, the nut that we kind of came up with that would then propel the projects forward was that um, Jewish, religious identity, but but not especially, but Jewish religious identity happens deeply during the teenage years. And so if that is also a, a time, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, as, as you've heard, it's out, out in the air that this is a, this is a very anxious generation. They're, they, they have a lot of stress and a lot of depression. That if you're having that at the exact same time when you're trying to um, solidify your religious identity, that wouldn't it be nice if an organization that is that is related to that mm-hmm. religion helped guide you through that process? That it was that they're not two distinct things, and I thought that was a really interesting right. hook to put out there for the students. Right. So that's the that's the project we did in the fall, and in the spring, we worked with Heineken. And I had been invited into kind of like a brainstorming session with them. Which, by the way, seems like the perfect brand to work with after the depression. After the depression. Yes. We thought about that. <laughs> and I remember I went to Heineken and I said I would really – they had this challenge and their challenge was um, – um, it was about drinking and driving and they were trying to decouple the phrase. Hmm. They thought that the end part of it uh, was part of the problem. And so they brought in – That's interesting. They did. That It was. And they brought in um, – 
um, people in government. They brought in some academics. That's that's the hat that I came in with, and um, professionals and people in the beverage industry and all that sort of stuff. And I said to the person who was leading it, I said, I would love for you to be one of my clients. Hmm. And she said, oh, we can't because you're a college and, you know, the drinking thing. I said, it's a master's program. And we went, yay, we can do this. So we did it. We did it appropriately right after the Depression one. And that was th- that was the project that we did. So mm. we interestingly, I, I it, a part of me wanted to do Heineken versus a moment where we're hyper local with craft beer and stuff. Right. Which the problem solver in me thought that would be a really interesting. Probably right for the brand. Yeah. And also an opportunity to drink a lot, which I think is super important. But instead, it was a drinking and driving which challenge. Which sounds instead. like research to me. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> did a lot of research there that you spring, go. But, which, but, is, which may be why I don't remember what your question was about uh, the end of the spring semester. But, what I, but, but I think what is very powerful about that is uh, having, I like this process of the um, knowledge and integrity up front, then you bring that to uh, you know, a profit client. Uh, and interesting, the profit client comes into you with a, um, I don't know, it's like before we were saying the clients don't know what they want, but they, they did come in with a clearly identified problem. And I think that's what's very powerful about the client agency relationship is that clients are actually pretty good at knowing what their problems are. They, they don't always know the solutions or how to get there or, or, or why they they need to get there, but they yeah. can tell you the problem. I remember that um, um Lee Clow, actually, I, I, I think, was the person in um, that documentary, Art and Copy. Mm-hmm. And he said, sometimes we understand the value of our clients better than they do. And I think that that, that's like... and I think that's that's sometimes very true. And the the students and I think we all do. We kind of fall in love with the value, especially yeah. if we start to identify it. And that's the part of the branding part mm-hmm. is we never move forward to the communication part. Even if the client says, and then Heineken had so many brand documents, well, this is who we are. This is how right. we define themselves. And I said to the students, I said, you've got to go in there and do a deep dive in terms of what they want and how well this really realizes that promise. And when you present to them, I want you to um, play back to them things that they will recognize but mm-hmm. be surprised by based on your analysis and your thinking. Mm-hmm. So we always, and I think that's the power of the big part. I think that if you understand brand value, you know, when we do our, our portfolios, and I would love to talk a little bit about the portfolios, when we talk about um, show work, we, we um, the por- people that are looking at our portfolios say, um, oh, we want to make sure that this is solving a business problem. And that's one of the things that we, we drill down into the students. So if you're an art director or writer, mm. you have to know that you're not just doing this for yourself. And I, mm. most of them know that. But sometimes they're not as understanding of what the business problem mm-hmm. is. But I think before you understand the business problem, which could be something that's hitting you at any given moment, you have to understand the, the brand value mm-hmm. um, and kind of back up. And sometimes the client will come to you or even the instructor will come to you and say, here's the problem. And I, I always tell them, you got to pause and back up and say, what's your North Star, which is your brand value? And we do this thing we call it the virtuous, the BIC virtuous circle. It, it's it's not super unique other than the fact that I put BIC in front of it. Um, <laughs> and it starts now it with, feels right now, you're right, exactly. <laughs> um, it, it starts with a brand value, and then you have to identify 
the, the business problem. And it's a processing thing, too. So you're working with a client, but then you refilter it and say, mm-hmm. so it's from our perspective. We're looking at it now. And then you have to have a communication solution because that's why they're coming to you. And it can be very broad because right. communications is so broad now. And the solution has to solve the business problem in a way that enhances the brand value. And if it doesn't do that, then, then, then the circle isn't complete. And if you can be in the middle of it, every single person who's working on the project the person who's interested in the social media aspect of it or the person that's doing the layout, if they everybody understands they're in the center of that circle at any given moment, you're going to give back to the client something that's that's more valuable to them. Yeah, no, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, what, what I also like about what you're doing is it reminds me of, you know, when you look at something like uh, Xerox Park. You know, it was born out of Stanford. So they had Stanford people on behalf of... Xerox and you know, eventually HP. Um, when you look at uh, some of the car companies, like Ford had a relationship with the University of Michigan. I mean, I, I'm not sure that brands and, and, and personally, I don't see enough agencies having uh, a strong enough relationship with a university. Yeah. Because I think, like you said uh, before, a very important word, you guys have a little more time for the reflection. And this piece is missing. Yes. Because we're so busy executing and trying to solve things quickly we don't have that time to reflect yeah and i and i think that's when you you had mentioned to me earlier how is the bic program disruptive how does it represent disruption in the education space and um on the one hand it is almost the opposite of disruption it is the ability to think deeply to pause and to reflect and that can then lead to disruption that is more substantive and more meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's missing. Yeah. Um, and so we think about that very, very, we take that to heart, that right. this is a moment that you can reflect. We invite not just wonderful people like yourselves to come up and talk to the students, but we invite agencies, clients to give us a, a, a hard nut that they're trying to crack mm-hmm. and give it, to us, give it to students for 15 weeks or give it to them for 12 weeks and walk away and then come back and see what happens. Um, because I think that you don't have the luxury. Um, everything's on the line. You have, you know, so much money. I mean, when I talk about the client giving us money, it's like nothing what, you know, is on the line. In, in the agency world, it's a small amount of money. It's a small little bit of an investment. Um, but it just gives you a little bit of breathing space, and it's I you know I think of BIC as a bit of a sandbox. Mm-hmm. You can you really want to get your fingernails dirty. You want to be able to to fail without huge repercussions mm-hmm. to that. Um, and the stuff that comes out of that is so amazing. And I the, so the boundary between industry and academia needs to be extremely porous, mm-hmm. and we need to get together. Um, so it's not just about graduating you know, uh, students who you want, because that's part of it. I right. want these students. These are great thinkers. You know, they can they can look to the left and look to the right and, and say, I get what you do. And I'm at the table and everybody gets that I'm at the table, um, understanding what, what we all are here for. But it's that the program itself ha- gives the industry an opportunity to do that, to spend some time with us up on campus. It's just far enough away, as you know. Yeah, yeah. To kind of give you a little bit of space, but just close enough to also feel like you don't have to hop on a plane. So yeah, we, we invite industry to do that. So <laughs> do you mentioned the portfolio. So we talked a little bit about the, 
the process that the students go through. So the portfolio is what? That's what they deliver? That's their kind of end piece? I Yeah, the portfolio part of it, and I have to say it's more powerful than um, I thought even at the beginning. And you and I come from the creative department where portfolios are our currency. And we don't even think about them. Mm -hmm. It's just something that we have to do. We know we have to do it, and so we do it. Um, and I I thought, well, we're, everybody has to show evidence of, of what they do. And even though we tend to have um, uh, more visual, uh, easier, more tangible outcomes than maybe somebody in planning or account management or public relations, there's still a process that they go through. And I wanted to see if they could give evidence to that. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that was... Uh, a major part of the program, we call it portfolio-driven, is one of the first things that we say, that it is driven by the portfolio. They do it mostly independently. And that's one reason why it's two full years is because it is so hard to do that portfolio that if it were three semesters with 36 credits, we stretch it out over two years so they can spend a lot of time in portfolio land. By the way, which I do think is a disruption of your program because we do see people from other universities in master's programs that don't have a deliverable. The deliverable is, oh, well, I've got my master's on my resume. Yeah. Well, we there, our kind of motto is um, enter curious, leave curious with credentials. And I think it's not just that diploma that's a credential. To me, the portfolio is a credential. So what happened in the portfolio process that I, I realized was even more valuable was um, I asked students to kind of go back into their work that they did. And then again, it reinforces why we're doing it, which is to be reflective. And it's easy to spend two years doing, almost mimicking what you were doing in the industry, which we're trying to get students to not do, which is right. to just move forward and not look back, not to reflect. So the portfolio actually is a very reflective process. It forces them to go back in. Was there something in the first semester that should level up? And it's not just work that they do in the classroom. In fact, it's not that at all. It's once you do something in the classroom, we have 30 students in every cohort, they all come in with different desires, interests, and I, you know, in the end, I don't even care what they do, as long as they apply this amazing skill to a great life. In and by the way, there connecting. are different disciplines, too. Some people are account people, some people are creatives, whatever. And, and they learn from each other. And sometimes they shift over, and that's fine with me, too. Um, so... Once you've taken the second semester, did the work that you did in the first semester change? Would it change if you put it in your portfolio? How would you enhance it? How would you level it up? I mean, we know what it's like to do a rough tissue and yeah. say, this is really cool, but the client didn't buy it. But these days, let me blow it up and make sure that it's portfolio level. These days, let me shoot it. Let me shoot, right. Let and, me shoot uh, and edit it with all of my favors that I can call in. Um, so for the... So I was especially interested in the PR people because PR is one area that really is not living in portfolio. They'll say, read my blog or see that I know how mm -hmm. to write. It's like, I want you to show your process. I want people to know that they not only are looking at somebody that can deliver and measure it because I want measurables. I want that whole big virtuous mm -hmm. circle showing up in every portfolio piece that you do. But I want to know that I want to work with you because mm -hmm. I, I see your process. Um, and so what happened as they were moving forward, I saw that it wasn't just evidence, the portfolio. It was also um, the process that made them think about who they wanted to be and not necessarily for the rest of their lives. I, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes they would, by uh, three weeks 
to the end of their portfolio defense because we bring professionals in. They have to defend it. They have to explain why they did mm. it to people who actually do what it is that they say they want to do, at least in their portfolio. And I tell them, even if you um, throw it out after May 20th, I don't care. Have an endpoint and make some decisions. Um, and then if you do throw it out, take what you learned and just move forward. Mm -hmm. So I think um, I learned the power of the portfolio, and it's different than what we did. I, I asked the creatives to think about it differently. Right. Um, the biggest challenge is getting the industry to accept it, and I'm I'm kind of cool with that right now. It gives us a, it gives us something to talk about. We do this thing called the PIP um, about three months before the students do their defense, and it's the portfolio in progress. Hmm. And I bring recruiters in, so the defense we have professionals looking at it. But for the PIP, I have recruiters coming in, and I, and I say, I want you to be invested. I want you to understand that this is what we're asking of students. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your journey, because you were, you know, you were creative, and, you know, you worked in agencies. I mean, how, how did you make the leap from practitioner to professor? Mm. Um, I, everything that you do leads you to where you are at any given point. And but you, I, but and you I, only right? know that looking back. I only know that looking <laughs> backwards, but I tell my students that. I said, you're not graduating into a position, you're graduating with a bucket of skills. Um, and then you're going to figure out how they work together and what you're going to pull out in any given moment to be qualified for what you want to do at, at, at the moment that you're, you're called upon to do it. So I started, I went to Penn and um, I, I wanted to, so I was in Philadelphia. I wanted to be in New York City. And I did, it was totally what color is your parachute right. era. And I kind of thought about who I was <laughs> and what made me excited. And I loved art and copy. I started out as a fine arts minor with an English major. Perfect kind of art and copy yeah. kind of thing. Where would I do something like that in New York City? And because I'm really super old, um, New York was the place to do that, it, it, advertising. And um, so I interviewed with a lot of people, like, what, where does this live in the communication space? And it was in the creative department. So I took some classes at SVA and got a portfolio. And then somebody said, I, I have a job for you as a secretary at Cunningham & Walsh, which does not exist. Now. I could give you a string of advertising agencies, and none of them exist anymore. Um, and it's in They've the- They've all been bought by WPP and Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> Um, and it's in the account management department or in the production department. And I said, well, I, first of all, I don't want to be in either. And second, I want to be a, I want to be a copywriter. And she said, you know, you have to be in it to be in it. Mm -hmm. No one's sitting around, <laughs> you know, while you're on the couch waiting for you to get hired. So I went in and I was a secretary. It was the hardest job. I was just telling somebody before I got here. It was the hardest job I ever got hired for. Oh, yeah. It's impossible. Because it, it, I, I had to keep saying, no, I'm not overqualified. Trust me. I know how to write a 30-page paper on the, the sun way, also all, rises. But, but by the way, all the worst, you know, uh, you know, secretaries and assistants became pretty good creatives. You know, like if you were really good as an assistant, you probably stayed in that or you became an account you person came. or something. Well, I had a I had a little portfolio. It was adorable. Um, by today's standard, I, I, it's probably, my husband would say, we'd probably have to carbon date it. It's somewhere deep in the <laughs> in our closet. Um, and I was a secretary for the production department. And yeah. within six months, I became an assistant producer. And within nine months, I was a full producer. And I got a window office. I was traveling. Hmm. Um and I, I loved it. I loved hanging out with the creatives, but I really missed 
developing the, the idea. Making the idea. Yeah. yeah. So um, I let it be known that I was interested in the creative department. And so one of the groups that I was working with um, had a junior position open. And then they said, we can't technically reduce your salary, but we can really take that window office away. Are you interested? And I said, absolutely. So I moved into the bowels of the agency, became a copywriter. And I think this is kind of the thing that I learned along the way. Because I had been a producer... The first assignment I got was a TV spot, and it was to be shot in Canada, and they sent me up alone. Oh, and I said, but aren't I going to get a producer? I mean, I've been waiting to get a producer all this time. And they said, well, you know how to produce. So, I, and then I real I was- But I, who's going to get the cappuccinos? I know, exactly. Who's going to- I have to get my own take cappuccino? take care of lunch? Oh, God. Uh, it, I thought it was so unfair. Um, but it taught me that the more you know, that, that T-shaped thing, mm-hmm. that, you know, you go into that depth. And so blah, 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 moving on, agency bought and all that kind of stuff. And I, had, I was a creative director at Dentsu, and I had a son, and I'm a super workaholic, mm-hmm. and found that I just would rather hang out and cultivate work and and do all that stuff. Um, but I realized that the only way to do that was to quit and go freelance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had more control over my life, my professional life. Um, but what I found is that I missed cultivating ideas. Right. So, it, I mean, freelance is great because you're a mercenary. Everybody is so envious of you. They're like, man, this is so cool that you come in and just do ideas. And But I missed all that kind of how do we develop this idea and recognizing the idea and making Mm. it better and all that kind of critiquing stuff. So I started teaching at Parsons School of Design, and that was such a great outlet for me that I actually started to not accept freelance if it interfered with my Mm. teaching. And then I got the opportunity to um, get a full-time professorship, a tenure-track professorship, which I never... And I will will tell you... um, in, in terms of piece of advice that I got that came out of nowhere and it, only in hindsight, as you said, really changed the, the course of my life because I'm very teacherly anyway. And my mother was a teacher. I just, you know, but I wasn't thinking that I was going to do that. I love, I love the industry. I love being creative. I mm-hmm. love problem solving. I love the craft of it. And so I was teaching on, adju- I was as an adjunct at FIT and they are, you know, they do class observations that are, you know, really will make you sweat. I mean, they come in, they, they're really like a hostile invader into your classroom. And, um, you know, an 80-point scale in which they evaluate you on and they take you through it. And, um, and at the end of it, the guy who was observing me says, do you have a master's? And I said, no, I don't have a master's. And he says, well, you're pretty good at this. And if you ever really are serious about teaching, you should get a master's. And I didn't really thought about it. I mean, I love mm. education, would love to, but I just it just wasn't in the cards for me at that time. Um, and so I went, I was at Parsons, and I was able to get a media studies master's for every course I taught, I got a free course. And I actually got a free master's doing it that way. Why did you learn bartering when you're on the agency side? I know absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely remember I'd have to get the permission slip signed by this woman who would be in a back room, she'd be sitting there smoking, she goes, "I can't believe you're doing this." <laughs> um but anyway, that w- allowed me to get the full-time gig up at City College and to develop this master's program and keep 
keep myself in the industry in a completely different way and still give back to the industry that I, I really love. All right, our last question is when we ask everybody, give someone out there, what's the best piece of advice either you heard or that you would give to somebody? So we've got a lot of listeners out there who either want to get into our business or are in a point in their business where they want to, as you say, level up. What's what's a good piece of advice that you heard along the way? Um, d- don't be afraid to zig and zag. Um, I'm... I'm a big believer in kind of directionally knowing where you want to want to go, but make that pretty wide and allow yourself to hit different points along the way. I, I think my career is evidence of that. I think the way that we um, approach our curriculum is evidence of that. And I tell the students, I, I mentioned earlier that I tell them, you don't graduate into a job, you graduate with a bucket of skills. Um, and there's an excellent chance that the job that will give you enormous satisfaction in 10 years hasn't been invented yet. Um, and so you need to be prepared and open for that. And if you're too narrowly defining what it is that you want to do in this world, you're not understanding the, the current landscape, and you'll probably be kind of unhappy. I love curious people. And I think when we were trying to figure out what the common denominator was for who do we want in the program, because it was like, oh, we want this, we want this, we want, how do we, how do, I said, I just want people who are curious, because if you're not curious, this is not the business for you. And if you follow that through, it just means that you're going to, you should zig and zag. And I think that will give your life um, great meaning, and you'll feel very fulfilled, both professionally and personally. Excellent. Well, I think you, you hit the key word. I think curiosity is it's really hard to teach, but if you can find it, uh, you know, that's amazing. All right, Miss Nancy Artag, <laughs> thank you so much uh, for doing this show. Uh, it was great. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me. Again, thank you for focusing on education and putting it in the Disruptor Series. Thank you. All right. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shy Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashiatny.tumblr.com.